Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet. For most people, I'd say it's an ongoing, long process. Some people, it happens like a transformation. I can't say I'm one of them, you know. Um, I'd say for most people, it's a commitment. But you know what? A commitment to what? A commitment to growth. A commitment to becoming more free in your life. A commitment to being more conscious, being more present, being more loving. You know, so it's, it's not like it's a terrible thing. I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with Dr. Gabor Maté, the big specialist in traumas. A retired physician, best-selling author and author of Canada recipients, who has dedicated his life to understanding the connection between illness, addiction and trauma, is very well known by the community of Harvest. He's a legend and I've read a lot of his books and it was amazing meeting him and actually seeing him in person and hearing his talk. I felt like his talk was very real to me. Sometimes I adore people when I read their books, but when I meet them in person or listen to them, I get a little bit as his word disillusioned that he's either a better author or like the vibe is different but Gabor was even beyond. He's a legend and um, a very you know well-respected doctor and somebody who's been very inspirational to a lot of people in terms of recovering from their traumas and well not really passing them on or blocking the tendency to, to pass it on to future generations. But let's start this interview with the basics and explain what is a trauma and how to heal it. Trauma is one of those words like God, like everybody uses it, but everybody has a different concept of it, you know. So if I want to talk about healing of trauma, I really need to explain what I mean by the word. What I mean is strictly according to its Greek origins, it means a wound or a wounding. So trauma is not what happened to you, whether it was physical or emotional or sexual abuse or violence in a family or parents being addicted or a parent dying or a divorce. You know, that's not the trauma. Those are the traumatic events. The trauma is the wound that we suffer as a result of that. And much of that has to do with when children experience difficult events, it's how they understand it and what they make it mean about themselves. And universally, when bad things happen to kids, they make it mean that there's something wrong with them. They become disconnected from themselves. So the biggest trauma, and it doesn't matter what the source is, is a disconnection from the self. Then uh, there's all the ways that we compensate for that disconnection. If we get disconnected from ourselves, if we believe that the world is a terrible place, then we'll be acting out of fear, we'll be acting out of shame, And so trauma really is that emotional wounding that we experience. Now when you ask about the healing, well that's a huge subject because the trauma shows up in all kinds of ways. So trauma can show up in the form of addiction, it can show up in the form of chronic physical illness, it can show up in the form of chronic what we call mental illness like depression or anxiety or ADHD or psychosis or bipolar manifestations, what they call personality disorders. I don't care what you call the diagnosis. These are all manifestations of trauma. So the healing of trauma 
really depends on how it shows up in a person's life. If it shows up in the form of addiction, you mentioned addiction to shopping or addiction to drugs. Is it the same solution to deal with them? So first of all, there's this idea that there's all these different addictions and that's only true in terms of the form. So that, you know, somebody's addicted to shopping, which means they have to keep buying stuff. No matter how much they have, they have to keep going back to the store. I know that personally. Or to work, they have to keep working all the time. I know that one too. Or to, some people are addicted to pornography, some people are addicted to sex, some people are addicted to, to gambling or, or gaming or the internet or their cell phones, whatever. The form is different, but the underlying process emotionally, psychologically is the same. There's some kind of a wound, there's some kind of an emptiness that you're trying to fill. There's, there's some kind of a distress that you're trying to escape. There's some kind of a pain that you're trying to numb. So that process is similar across all addictions. I don't care what it is, number one. Number two, the brain circuits that are involved in addiction are the same. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. It's the same brain circuits. What's more difficult about substances is that there's not only that addiction, there's also a dependence. And dependence means that when you stop it, you go through withdrawal, which in the case of alcohol, if you're a heavy, Alcoholic, it's, you can go through life-threatening withdrawal. You can, you can get seizures and terrible things happen to you. If you're addicted to heroin, withdrawal is just awful. So that's dependence. People who are addicted to behaviors, they go through withdrawal too, but it's just not so physiologically severe. But they still get irritable, they get depressed, they get reactive, you know. So again, the healing doesn't look the same because some people it's much more severe. But ultimately it is the same because we talk about recovery, right? Now, what does the word recover mean? It means to find something. You recovered something that you lost. What do we recover when we heal from addiction? And you ask people, when you recovered, what did you find again? They say, I found myself. And so the fundamental trauma is that disconnection from the self, the recovery is the reconnection. So the recovery is not stopping the behavior. That's abstinence. That's good. But that's not recovery. You can be abstinent and still be carrying your trauma. Some people wouldn't find it um, easy to identify their trauma, yeah. um, maybe because uh, they could have multiple ones yeah. or uh, just because they're not sure. How does a journey look like to find what's hurting you inside? So we have to distinguish two kinds of trauma. One is the obvious one. So if you're physically abused, it's obvious. If you went through a terrible war situation, separated from your parents, that's obvious. But it can be much more subtle. It can just be if you're a sensitive child whose needs are not met, whose needs for being understood or being seen or being just accepted unconditionally are not met. That can wound you as well. But it's harder to remember because it's easy to remember what happened, but it's hard to remember what didn't happen but should have. So a lot of people actually believe they had very happy childhoods, but when you talk to them, you realize that they were missing some very important needs that were not met in the parenting environment. And so that takes a conversation. And I've talked to a lot of people that said I had a happy childhood and I've still got addicted and I said, give me three minutes. Another question about this uh, is, 
can you, if you're looking for, a, if you're not, if you're addicted, and um, a mom takes her child uh, to see someone to help, can you find a trauma that has not happened? Can you recreate a trauma uh, can, that is can, not can a good somebody, one? Can somebody? Yeah, can the mind or can the brain create a trauma that was not a real one, for example? The answer uh, is yes or no. Uh, mostly, because here's the thing. Let's say I'm a therapist, okay? And this has happened. Not with me, but it's happened. And you come to me as a client. And after the therapy, you realize that you were ritually abused by a satanic cult as a child. That's happened. No, the ritual abuse in the satanic cult did not happen. But how come I was able to make you believe that it happened? How come? Because you had a deep wound that you needed an explanation for. Even if the form of what you believe didn't happen, something did happen. Otherwise, I couldn't have convinced you that it happened. And it was emotionally, there was a big wound there, there was a big confusion there. And me as the therapist, for my, whatever reason, I have to believe in this ritual satanic cult business and, and I, I induce you to believe that, but I can only induce you is because is you're deeply traumatized. So that didn't happen, but something very wounding did happen. Otherwise, I couldn't lead you to that belief. So the answer is yes and no. Dr. Gabor Maté has created the Compassionate Inquiry, an approach that would gently uncover and release the layers of childhood trauma and suppressed emotion in the body, roots of illness and addiction. And the process of healing for Gabor Maté has to start with self-compassion. Well, you need to begin by understanding yourself compassionately. And, uh, How you get there depends on, you know, the kind of help you get. But you need to talk to a counselor who, know, who understands all this. Many of them don't. You need to find out how in my life does it keep showing up, this lack of confidence, if I still have it. Um, how do I feel about myself? How can I be kind to myself, compassionate, curious about my own experience? You know, there's lots of modalities for healing. I teach one of them, it's called compassionate. There's other methods, you know, that are really good. There's body work, there's, of course, there's yoga, there's meditation, there's sound healing. I mean, there's all kinds of modalities, but it has to begin with an awareness. If that's a trauma, including someone, if you find out a trauma, including someone who's still alive, like someone in your family when you're a child, and I'm talking yeah. about trauma, yeah. uh, Would you advise to uh, interact with this person or to find uh, peace within yourself? Well, the ultimate goal is peace within yourself, you know, because it can't depend on the other person. You know, I mean, what if the other person disappeared or died? Does that mean I can never heal because I, my healing depends on somebody else? So ultimately, we have to find it within ourselves. Now, if there's an open relationship where it's okay to have, you know, I've, I know lots of people who are able to have good conversations with their parents or their adult children. I mean, look, I traumatized my kids. You know, I didn't mean to. Your parents didn't mean to. But we wound our kids, that we, we do, you know, uh, and because we don't know any better and because we haven't worked out our own trauma yet or whatever. My kids and I have had great conversations about it. In fact, you know, they, they understand what happened to them. But it's up to them to, I can't heal them. You know, that, 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 that's up to them. But on the other hand, 
some parents are not capable of having that conversation. They they feel too guilty, or they feel too defended, or they haven't understood their own trauma, and they just get very upset if they even hear about that possibility. So they're not open to the conversation. Well, then then you don't have the conversation. Yourself, you were mentioning you and your children, and yourself had a traumatizing uh, experience being a Jewish child yeah. uh, in Hungary. You felt you, you couldn't be loved. Yeah. Uh, that's a very uh, traumatizing thing. Can you describe how, as an adult, uh, you would take a step back and identify what were the effects on you? Yeah, well, the effects show up in your life, you know, and particularly they show up in your relationships. So that all the effects of my childhood trauma have shown up in my relationship to my work and my relationship to my to my spouse, my wife, and to my children and so on. I can tell you one example. So when my son, with whom I just finished writing a new book together, and, uh, and we're going to write another one on parent-child relationships, adult parent-child relationships. But when he was three years old, it was my birthday, my 36th birthday, I think. And he said, I'm not going to sing happy birthday. I said, well, then you're not getting any cake. Well, I'm still not singing. And this is in front of the whole family. My parents, my brothers, a big family dinner, my birthday dinner. I ended up hitting him. It's, I ended up hitting a three-year-old. Now, what was I so upset about? Why couldn't I just say, okay, kid, you don't want you don't to sing? Don't sing. Here's your cake. You know? He didn't feel love. Exactly. And I desperately needed him to love me because I didn't feel I was lovable. So I needed everybody to prove to me how lovable I was. And I got so angry, I ended up hitting a three-year-old, thereby passing my trauma on to him, you know? And I didn't think about it. It wasn't like I thought, I wasn't conscious. It was like automatic. So, so in other words, what I'm saying is that our traumatization shows up in our lives and uh, in our relationships, in our work, and how we feel about ourselves, what we believe consciously, what we believe unconsciously, you know? Like, um, sometimes, What we believe consciously is the opposite of what we believe unconsciously. So like, there's a Donald Trump who says, I'm a stable genius, which means that he's got complete lack of confidence in himself. And he knows how unstable he is. Unconsciously, he knows that. Nobody who's stable and a genius will ever say that I'm a stable genius. You know? <laughs> okay. That's like Einstein would not say, I'm a stable genius. You know? <laughs> Only somebody who says it who really doubts it, unconsciously. Okay, so the more confident you look, probably sometimes... Uh, sometimes that, that, that confidence are. and that... It, it's a compensation. In this crazy society, these are the people who become our leaders, all these stable geniuses. You know? <laughs> how did you learn how to heal your trauma? How to, can we say cure a trauma? Or? Um, no, you can't say cure it because it's not a disease. So when you talk about cure, you're implying that there's a disease here. And, um, Even the diseases that people get, like autoimmune disease and so on, they are manifestations of trauma as well, you know. But trauma itself is, is, is a wound. You don't cure a wound, you heal it, you know. And given that the essence of trauma is that disconnection that I talked about, even healing, the word healing, uh, comes from the word whole in English, also in Hungarian, it's interesting enough. So the, the healing and, and, and wholeness, they're the same thing. So the question is, how do we become whole again? And that's recognizing how we became disconnected from ourselves, you know, 
So we confuse feelings with thoughts and opinions. That's a bit of a disconnect. So w once you recognize it, then you can, then you can go to work on it. Can it be a quick process or as it usually it's a long, long process? For most people, I'd say it's an ongoing, long process. Some people, it happens like a transformation. I can't say I'm one of them, you know. I'd say for most people, it's a commitment. But you know what? A commitment to what? A commitment to growth. A commitment to becoming more free in your life. A commitment to being more conscious, being more present, being more loving. You know, so it's, it's, not, it's not like it's a terrible thing. Uh, how to help a loved one who has an addiction without uh, falling? with them, and uh, it reminds me the the movie we talked about, My Beautiful Boy, or the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, so in my book, in The Realm of Hungry Ghosts, the, I have a chapter on family, for families and friends of addicted ones. And um, you can take three approaches, and two of them make sense, and one of them is insane. And the insane one is what most people try. So, let's say I'm your friend, and you're addicted to something, and I see that this is really harming you and it's hurting our relationship and so on. And I try to change you. I keep trying to push you to get treatment, to recognize it and see how bad it makes me feel and all that. So I stay in your life and I change, try to change you. That's insane. Okay. Now here's why it's insane. Do, you put your hand out for a minute and I'm pushing on your hand. What do you do? I push back. Right away. So that's insane. It's going to make it worse. It's, going to, it's just going to create resistance, right? So that's the insane. Okay. okay? But if, if you're my friend and you're addicted, I can say to you, look, I'm very sorry for what's happening with you, but I realize that this is your process. And uh, I also realize that there must be some pain there that you're trying to solve or, 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 or soothe. And right now you're not ready to, to give up that soothing. I get it. And I'll still be your friend. And I'm not going to try and interfere with you. If you need help, I'm here. That's sane. Or I might say to you, what you're doing is too painful for me. I can't handle it. I can't be around it. I'm sorry. I love you very much. I really care for you. I'm not blaming you. I'm not criticizing you. I'm not judging you. I understand this is your process. You're not doing it to me. But for me, I can't handle it. I'm sorry. That's also sane. So there are two sane approaches and one insane. And most people keep going for the insane one. Exactly, yeah, because yeah. it seems like more logic but, uh, yeah. or more caring. Yeah. But, uh, Which makes you yeah. into a, what's called a codependent, because the codependent is somebody who depends on somebody else to feel better so they can feel better. Gabor explained how to identify your trauma and heal them. But what about not creating new ones for our children? I have to watch my language with Gabor, as when I asked how to be protective without being too protective, he told me a parent could never be too protective, I should say controlling. I then asked how to show a child you loved him without creating hyper-attachment. Well, attachment, which is the drive for closeness for an, with another human being, is essential for human life. The child needs to be close to the parent to be cared after, to be cared for, and the parent needs to feel close to the child so that they'll want to take care of the child. You, you can't have too much attachment. What you can have is attachment for the wrong reasons. So 
if the parent is attaching to the child to meet his or her own needs, then becomes toxic for the child. Yes, yeah. Because, because that relationship between child and parent needs to go one way only, you know? If I need my, like if I need my three-year-old to, to respect me and love me, and I get angry because he doesn't, so I hit him, that means I'm attached for the wrong reasons. So in terms of how not to hurt kids, we first of all have to understand what are the needs of children. And children have certain basic needs. And in my new book, I, I talk about them. And, and one of them is unconditional loving acceptance, where the child doesn't have to work to make their relationship work. They don't have to be good, they don't have to be pretty, they don't have to be smart, they don't have to be successful. They just are. They're not there to make the parent feel better, they're just there and they're accepted, you know? And the child is allowed to have all their feelings, which you weren't. You're allowed to have your anger. You know, it's, it's important for children to be able to experience all their feelings, joy, anger, sadness, grief, really important. This is important for emotional growth and therefore for intellectual growth. A lot of us as parents, we don't know how to let our children experience their feelings. And that's a wound. So. How do you not hurt kids? You, you don't, you're not hurt kids by, first of all, taking care of yourself so they don't have to. Yeah, if you heal your wounds before, it's easier, yeah. Or, or at least recognize your wounds, you know? And, and having kids is a great way to recognize your wounds, by the way, because they'll show you every wound you've got. It's not that we have to be perfect, we just have to be conscious, you know, and recognize what their needs are. You know, and in this society, parents are not educated how to recognize their children's needs. Aboriginal peoples are much better than we are at knowing what children's needs are. They're much, much better. Do you think it was um, easier before? You said like uh, before we were living more with other people, many adults, and it was healthier in yeah. a way? Oh, well look, um, if you wanted to understand zebras, what their needs are and how they function, would you observe them in a zoo? Would you observe them out there in, in a savanna or wherever they live? Probably in the savanna, yeah. yeah okay. Well, See, we human beings, we're living in a zoo now. In, in terms of, um, it's artificial, it's constrained. Like how have we evolved as creatures over millions of years and hundreds of thousands of years? And even in our species existence, which is about 150, 200,000 years old, we lived until a snap of a finger ago out there in the wild in small band hunter-gatherer groups as communal creatures. So all the kids were around our parents all the time. And not just the parents, but all the kids were around all the adults all the time. So there was a communal kind of parenting. So the kids really belonged. And they had a sense of belonging. And uh, for the most part, by the way, hunter-gatherer people don't hit their kids. And they treat them very well. And the kids are, like my mother, when I was two weeks old, my mother wrote in her diary, she kept a diary, my poor little son, my heart is breaking for you because you've been crying for the last hour and a half to be fed. But I promised the doctor I wouldn't feed you till two in the morning. Tell that to a monkey. Tell that to a mother cat, you know? So in our society, a lot of kids are, a lot of parents are told, ignore your kids crying. Don't pick them up at night. Let them go back to sleep. That goes against human nature. That, that's wounding the child. Because what message do I get? Is a two-week-old, that my feelings don't matter. And my mother really loved me, and her heart was breaking. But I wasn't experiencing love. I was experiencing abandonment. As a two-week-old, 
Imagine being next to this creature that is meant to love you and support you and feed you, and she's just letting me cry for her, you know. Now, the parents are given this advice all the time. So it takes very little. If you have like what we call a um, sensitive child, yeah. what should you do? Should you treat him differently? Try to make him less sensitive or not? Is the color of your hair your natural color or is it, <laughs> is, is it dyed? Yes, a little bit. No, maybe the sun, but yes, it's natural. Yeah. Okay, so you're a brunette. Yes. Okay. What if I said to you as a one-year-old, don't be such a brunette? It'd be hard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you say to a kid, don't be so sensitive, sensitivity is a wonderful thing. Sensitivity, it's from the Latin word sincere, to feel. So the sensitive person just feels more. Now, that has implications. When a sensitive child is treated well, they just become more bright and more creative and more spontaneous and more alive and more joyful. But when a sensitive child is wounded, they feel the wound even more. They're hurt even more. So it's not a question of making them less sensitive. It's a question of meeting their needs. And then they just have this wonderful life. But if the same sensitive child is, is, is wounded, they have much more pain than a less sensitive child. So their trauma, even though externally the same thing happened, but their wound is much greater. So it's not a question of making them less sensitive, it's a question of respecting the sensitivity. Children can have traumas, adults can have traumas. My questions to Gabor Maté would go a bit beyond his expertise. Is there such thing as a trauma for a population of a country? There is, and it's all over the place. I mean, we're seeing it right now in the Ukraine. Uh, we see it in Palestine. And, and, and in, like in Palestine, it was one traumatized people that came from Europe, and then they traumatized the local population. That's what happened there. And it's still going on, it's still going on. A lot of the people that left Europe to come to North America, they were traumatized people, and they completely traumatized the local population. So that in my country, Canada, the indigenous population is terribly traumatized, terribly traumatized. I mean, I don't know if you know the stories, but it's just awful what happened to them. And they continue to be, you know, black people in the United States. So whole peoples can be traumatized. And uh, you see it in Eastern Europe everywhere, you know, like, like in Hungary, Czechoslovakia, or the Czech Republic, really high rates of alcoholism. And these are small peoples that were always controlled and oppressed by the larger empires around them. So the, those, there's hundreds of years of trauma on, on the national level. It happens all over the world. Yeah. It's time to wrap up now and say goodbye. Are you ready for the harvest of the day? I asked Gabor Maté the same question that all the other guests if something could be changed easily and make the world a better place, what would it be? Here is his answer. Well, if I could snap my fingers, everybody would wake up and they would see reality for what it is. And they wouldn't be having all these illusions because the world is living in illusions. I'm not the first one to say so. The Buddha, when he was walking along the road one day and this famous story that somebody else coming the other way looks at him, And the Buddha is radiant and present and he's got this peaceful look and the other person says, what are you, a god? And Buddha says, no, I'm awake, you know. And so <laughs> I just think if people would wake up and, and 
like in every country, people believe in such nonsense and they, people believe in false leaders and they believe in false values and just wake up, just wake up. That's, we wouldn't, if we woke up, we, would, we wouldn't be doing these things to each other. If I was awake, I wouldn't help hurt my three-year-old child. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Gabor Mate's view on how to heal emotional traumas, deal with addictions linked to them, help someone suffering from an addiction and trying not to pass traumas on the next generation. If you did, please leave us a good review and until next time, 